0: well psalm twenty three is a, the most famous chapter in the bible you 've probably uh, heard it many times you 've at funerals no doubt you 've heard psalm twenty three right it 's sort of the, the, the all time greatest hit at at funerals and uh, i 'm just going to try today to to blow that up a little bit because I, I think it 's great for funerals and it 's certainly great for uh, times when you 're going through physical illness and suffering but Psalm 23 is really a a paradigm, a model for for leadership. It's a a perspective on how to do life together in the church, how to do life in your home, in your business. Um, It it really is much, much more than comfort during a time of, of, of grieving when you're when you've lost a loved one. It's that, but it's it's so much more. In fact, This idea of of shepherding, you can see throughout the Bible. Abraham, the father of the faith, said, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. As an old man, he could say God had led him on his pilgrimage, his spiritual journey, every day of his life. Moses, as you know, was born in in, in Pharaoh's household. He was well-educated. He was wealthy. He had power. He had prestige. And then God gave him a real job, and he became a shepherd. And he learned, shepherding under, uh, under Jethro, how to care for living things. And uh, the psalmist says of, of, of him, You, God, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And God chose David, his servant, Psalm 78 says, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance, with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Now, Jesus fulfills this shepherd imagery, this shepherd king metaphor beautifully. In Matthew 9, 16, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He was was moved in his guts for them because they were harassed, they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In the early church, Uh, They were experiencing a lot of persecution. They met for Sunday worship underground in the catacombs where people were buried when they were dead. And and if you go down there in places like Rome where the, the suffering, persecuted church gathered in those early days, there's artwork, the very earliest artwork of Christians on the walls displays this incredible image of Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He said in Matthew 18... Uh, verse twelve that the Good Shepherd, when he loses the sheep, leaves the ninety nine and he goes out after the one he leaves the ninety nine in good care, but he goes after the one he seeks out that lost sheep you 'll recall when Jesus multiplied the loaves, he had this this uh, really harassed shepherdless crowd before him, and they were hungry, and he he multiplied the loaves for them, and the imagery there is beautiful they they were lying down in, 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 in green grass, kind of like sheep, and, and he fed them, and uh, fed them the word of God as he multiplied those, those loaves, which, of course, represent his, his body uh, broken, and uh, he took it, and he broke it, and gave thanks, and, and gave him those loaves feeding, feeding the sheep. He said, to, uh, he said to Peter, after Peter had denied him three times, that he was to become a shepherd of the flock, and, and, and Peter later on said in 1st Peter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed for you were like straying sheep he's quoting Isaiah for you were straying like sheep but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls this shepherding thing is a big big metaphor it's a big theme of leadership throughout the bible After uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, after Peter had denied Jesus uh, three times, uh, Jesus restored Peter's soul out of the hopelessness that he was experiencing. He denied him three times, and it took three pardons to wipe away the three denials. At least it took three for Peter to get it into his head. Three times he said, feed my sheep. Don't just produce sheep, but feed the sheep. Don't just, you know, have a sheep factory, tend the sheep shepherd the sheep, take care of of the believers in your charge as my representative. Don't just sire kids, be a dad, be a spiritual father, father them, parent them. And so Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Remember his boast back in in earlier, a day or two earlier in Matthew 26, Uh, Jesus said to the guys, his closest friends, you'll all fall away because of me this night. You're all going to fall away. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock are going to be scattered. But after I'm raised up, Jesus said, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter said, there's no way I'm going to deny you. Though they all fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, tonight you're going to deny me three times. Three times before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me, and so when Peter was being restored by Jesus, uh, he was asked this question: You know, are you? Do you love me? Are you? Are you any better than? Do you love me more than these? And are you any better than these? These other guys. And, and, and all Peter could say was that like Abraham, like Moses, like David, like Elijah, that he had denied the Lord, he was flawed, he had failed, he too needed a Savior, he too needed his soul to be restored. And God did it. He spoke that, that word to Peter, and his, his soul was, was strengthened. My missionary friends, they tell me that the church... Is, uh, is not very fruitful evangelistically. One of my prayers is to finish my life to be faithful and to be fruitful. I pray that prayer every day. Lord, help me be faithful. Help me not to, you know, screw this up. Help me be faithful to the finish. Hold on to me. Help me be faithful. And help me be fruitful. Well, some of my friends back in the day when they were doing campus minister, they'd be leading a lot of, of, of uh, college students to Christ. God was kind of doing a thing across college campuses. And they looked askance at the church because the church was not being very, uh, very faithful or fruitful, quite honestly. Not a lot of people were coming to Christ. And, and local churches aren't always that good at evangelism. But here's what I've noticed about people that are sometimes good at evangelism. They're not very good at tending the sheep. You know, they, they don't quite get this, this part. And, and Jesus said to the apostle Peter... Tend my sheep, care for them, feed them. Be, be among my sheep as a shepherd. Make disciples, not decisions. You know, get into people's lives and, and introduce them to Christ and then walk with them a little ways. That's how the great commandment is going to be fulfilled. And so many years later, after Peter had been restored and he had, he had walked a lot of miles with God, he could write this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock... He's speaking to pastors. He's speaking to parents. He's speaking to all spiritual leaders, all small group leaders, all teachers. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then he says, when the chief shepherd, appears that's Christ coming at his second coming when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory shepherding is a model for spiritual leadership and so when we read psalm 23 we should be thinking about how do i how am i being led by this great shepherd and how is he tasking me to lead others my family my kids people in my in the area of ministry that i serve where i work If business guys would adopt the shepherding model for their business, do you think maybe their their employees would stick around a little bit more and be happy? I think they would. Because people who are cared for, who are tended well, have a a tendency to be, be more active, more productive, and more fruitful in their lives. Now Jesus, from his point of view, felt there were two ways to live your life. Two ways to live. Two ways of doing life as you function as a a spiritual leader in your family, and your church. Either you connect to a God who's really deeply involved in your life, so you're connected to God that way, and and, and you're experiencing care from God through your life circumstances. That's that's one way. Or the second way, you're disconnected from God and uh, you're on your own. So either the Lord is my shepherd and his goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, or it's this, I'm on my own and disappointment follows me everywhere I go all the days of my life. I'm just constantly disappointed. I mean, there's really two ways to live. David is a renowned a biblical counselor. He teaches over in Philly at Westminster Theological Seminary, and, and, and he's written the anti-Psalm 23. You're familiar with Psalm 23? Here's the anti-Psalm 23. Now only a counselor could come up with something so discouraging, depressing. I mean, he's 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 listened to, I mean, countless hours, imagine, for 35 years he's been doing this, okay? So, here's the anti-Psalm 23. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm always frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, the shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. But things can happen. I find no lasting comfort, I'm alone facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup, my cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I always be alone forever, homeless, free falling into the void? Sartre said, Hell is other people. I have to add, Hell is myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Whoa, that's depressing. That's the anti-Psalm 23. And the point here that this really sharp counselor is trying to make is that there really are, there really are two ways to live. You can walk out that, that, that kind of life, or you can walk out the Psalm 23 kind of life. And that kind of life can frame your reference on, on how you serve and how you lead others. It's really, in some degree, it's, it's a choice, Really? To some degree, it's a choice. I mean, God is, is, is offering you an opportunity to walk with Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the awesome shepherd, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk out Psalm 23, following the good shepherd. Let's look at, let's look at this great news from, from Psalm 23 because it's not bitter like the anti Psalm, it's sweet. It's not empty, it's full. It's not, you know, damaging to the soul like anti-Psalm 23. It's it's nourishing to the soul. The Lord is, is my shepherd, David says. I shall not be in want. Notice the individualistic personal relationship that David has with the living God, the good shepherd, the shepherd king. Now, we're we're, we're wise to point out the fact that that Christianity is really not a solo flight. It's a, it's a corporate community thing that we call church. You can't get through this life alone. You need friends. But, but in this psalm, in this psalm, we see a, a, a connection with God that every person needs to have one-on-one. This is truly the, the epitome of the personal relationship with God. David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Not everybody here can say that. Some people aren't sure if the Lord is their shepherd. But David could be certain. Are you certain today that the Lord's your shepherd? Do you have that personal relationship with God? Has God's love been liberated to you through the cross so that you experience that that tender-hearted personal care of a strong shepherd king in your life? If you do, you can say with David, well, then I lack nothing. I shall not be in want. I have all, not my greeds, but my needs are all being, being met. Everything I need, I have in him. He goes on in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. So the Lord is, is gathering these, 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 these little lambs and, and he's governing them, he's shepherding them and he's growing them and, and guiding them leading them beside quiet, still waters where they can drink. You know, a, a sheep cannot drink where the, the water is rushing quickly. They'll just get washed downstream. Sheep, by the way, are not very smart, they tell me. They drown in the rain. If they, look, if they fall over and are looking up, they drown. I mean, they're not real smart. They don't have any uh, teeth on the top, any pincher teeth, so when they, they just kind of pinch a little bit, they can't defend themselves at all. They're really helpless. They're totally helpless. What a perfect metaphor for me. I am completely and utterly helpless without him. And that's, that's the honest truth. And he makes me lie down and makes you lie down in green pastures. The, the shepherd king can guide us and provide spiritual food for us so that we can grow spiritually. And he does this oftentimes through under shepherds. People in the church who have been entrusted to shepherd us. Now, notice that this still, quiet water is not just for drinking. That's obvious. It's also for cleansing because the shepherd would take those sheep into the water and clean them up. You know, they had all kinds of wounds. He'd clean them up. He'd he'd apply oil to their wounds and, 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 and clean them up. The Lord cleanses us from sin. How? How does the Lord cleanse us from sin? Primarily, listen, primarily when we hear God's word taught to us and the Holy Spirit comes along and enlivens it in our heart, and we believe it and trust it, that's where the cleansing occurs. And and that power is released to us because of Christ's death and His resurrection and His giving of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Lord cleanses us from sin and provides for us spiritual restoration and, and spiritual refreshment and spiritual renewal. When God guides, He always provides and, and all you need to have is him. Now, these grasses are the, the spring variety. This is an August scrub grass. I've been in Israel, and honestly, there's not a lot of grass in Israel. It's pretty scrubby, arid land. But David is imagining a, a, a holy place that's lush and green, creation restored. And that's coming in its fullness. But spiritually, we can feed by faith on Christ on green spring grasses, beside those quiet, peaceful waters. And and he wants to guide you and he wants to guide me in paths of righteousness. Now, these paths of righteousness are well-worn tracks. God doesn't take us, listen, God doesn't take you over some terrain that he's never been on before. The, the, The tracks, the pathways of righteousness that God wants to take you and your family and your friends on are well-worn paths. He knows where he's going. There's a moral direction to these pathways. God knows what he's doing. He's been down this track before. Imagine like a a wagon track going back and forth and back and forth, and it's, it's well marked out. And those are the pathways that God wants to lead you on and lead our church on. And they're really not that complicated. They're safe. They're safe pathways. And they always end up and the right destination. Now, he does this. He does this guiding for his namesake. That means to uphold his own reputation. God wants to uphold his own integrity, his own own character. Now, if God lost sheep, he wouldn't be a very good shepherd. When God gets a hold of your life, he doesn't let you go. He might have to break your your legs so you quit running away from the flock, but he he doesn't let you go. If God lost a sheep, if he led them down the wrong path, if he led them over a path that they could not sustain the journey, the pilgrimage, he wouldn't be a very good shepherd. What kind of a God would that be? Would he be worthy of our worship? The answer is is no. So his reputation is at stake, and so he leads according to his own plan for his own name's sake. Now, let me just ask you, some of you are, are heads of household, your your dads, your moms, your heads of household. Maybe you're a single parent, maybe you've you've been married, you've got kids in the home. Some of you are are leaders of small groups and teams, you have spiritual influence in the lives of others. And the, the, the challenge is, is that we imitate this kind of shepherding and lead those that we care for into lush green grass the lush green grass of God's true word to us. We need to guard those lambs around us by establishing uh, uh, good boundaries to protect people. Now, here's a real simple practical application, but I'm just going to throw it out there and uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have some sort of, you know, shepherding protection on the screens in your home? You know, your TVs, your phones, your computers all of your screens like if you don't have net Danny on those screens and you've got kids around you're not you're not shepherding because you're allowing them the opportunity to feed on some stuff that is not lush green grass no it's actually toxic and it's going to damage their soul and then they're going to come in and they're going to see me or pastor barrier and they're going to say help 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 me restore my soul help me restore my marriage i've been i've been Captured and addicted to, to this thing or that thing over the, uh, over the airwaves. You got to have some protection around the flock. There was a, a, a modern day shepherd who was asked the question what's most important, the, uh, the rod or the staff? Now, the staff is used for hiking, right? Keep your balance, and the staff has a, a hook that you can grab the, the sheep and bring the sheep along and guide them along. And the, the rod is just used for, you know, kicking some butt and taking names or whatever that expression is. The rod is used for fighting off the, the, uh, the, the, the wolf and occasionally correcting the sheep. And the question was asked to the modern uh, shepherd, what's more important, the, the staff or the rod? And the guy said, neither of them. What's most important is the fence to keep the, the, the flock from wandering away. And and so the question today is, do you have the the rod, the staff, and the fence around the flock that you're you're shepherding? If you don't, guess what? You're not a good shepherd, and things aren't going in the right direction. You're not going to walk in paths of righteousness. Those well-worn paths, they're going to lead you to the right destination if if you're not doing basic shepherding of those you love and care for. God wants to give that to you, and he wants you in turn to give that to others. Thirdly, the Lord guards and goes before us, body and soul. He goes before us. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod, that defensive rod is there with me and your staff, they're there. They comfort me. Well, this week, a a couple of guys in the church who'd been meeting in a Bible study for oh, at least six years uh, together, asked me to go to a nursing home one of the one of the one of the guys in the group he's not that old, but he's had uh, rheumatoid arthritis for forty plus years He's had both knees, both hips i think his elbows he's had pins up and down his spine the guy he's just uh, i mean it was amazing when i when I put my hand on his shoulder to pray for him the the image of this guy's body in my head that i think will communicate to you the best is it was like it was like have you ever put pretzels in a in a napkin, and then folded the napkin up? You know, and you can feel the pretzels underneath, but they're kind of jumbling around in there. That's that's how this guy's body felt. He had nothing left but some bones and a little bit of skin over him. He's just hurting, just hurting all the time, and he has this this thing around his neck to kind of keep him propped up in his wheelchair. And these guys who've been in, they've been in, you know doing this, walking in the paths of God's righteousness together for over six years together. They said, Pastor John, will you come with me and 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 be with Bill and and hang out together? And I said, Sure, I'd I'd love to go. It'd be an honor to go be with you guys. And we got to sit down and and ask this man what, what his favorite psalm was? Psalm 23. Just so happened I was preaching on it this week. We had a whale of a Bible study right there in the nursing home. And these guys loved on this man really, really well. And they recognize that he has been walking, not just this last month, but he's been walking in the valley of the shadow of death for over 40 years, struggling with rheumatoid arthritis. A guy who grew up in the the rough neck of the woods on the south side of Chicago, you know, a tough Irish brawler, and his body is just falling, falling apart. The psalmist can say that as you're going through these desert valleys, these dried-up riverbeds that can be dangerous when flash floods come. They can be dangerous when bandits jump out from those those crags. God will lead you. God will be with you. He will guard you. He will protect you. You have nothing to fear. Just fear God. You know, if you fear God, nothing else counts. You realize that? If you fear God alone, no other fear will grip your heart, not even death. Because you know God has a hold of your life. God's presence is with you. And God's presence can dispel every other fear. Jesus said, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the Lord guards. He he goes before us, even through difficult circumstances and, and forth. And finally, the Lord gives grace to the soul. He feeds us. The image here shifts from a shepherd to a a banquet host. Think of a great king throwing a really great party. And on this banquet table are choice foods. And he throws this table, this party, in the presence of this person's enemies. The imagery here is that the enemies are, are present, but they're chained. They're not actually able to interfere at all with what's going on. God's provided this sumptuous feast... His enemies, whatever they are, whether they're people or circumstances or challenges in life or even besetting sins, those things have no place. They have no power to hold him back. And and, and this individual can walk right up and sit down at the table and feast. Now, for about 20 years in my life, I prayed this prayer. I wish I'd known Psalm 23 better because I prayed this prayer. I used to pray, God, just give me the crumbs from your table. Just give me a couple crumbs from your table. That's all I need. I know that you're so amazing that if you'll just give me like one little crumb, it'll feed my soul, and I'll be energized and empowered to serve you and glorify you and walk with you. Just give me the crumbs from your table. And I pray that prayer a lot. And then I woke up one day and I went, whoa, wait a minute. That's ridiculous. God is asking me not just to to, to get a few crumbs tossed to me here and there once in a while. He's invited me to come up right to his table through Christ, and to feast on him by faith, and to be fed by him, by his living water and his living word. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, that symbol of the Holy Spirit, that symbol of God's blessing. And then he says this incredible thing, my cup, it's filled to the brim, and it's overflowing. God is amazing host, And we get to be his guests and enjoy his generosity and enjoy his his presence. And then he says, surely, surely, most assuredly, goodness and mercy, God's loving kindness, God's loyal, steadfast love is going to follow me all the days of my life. Right through that rheumatoid arthritis right through that difficult, broken relationship, right through that incredible downturn that my company's going through, right through that rebellion that my child is is insisting on on entering into, surely even through those difficult, terrible circumstances, his goodness, his loving kindness, his loyal, covenantal love is going to be following me, literally pursuing me all the days of my life, right to the very end. How cool is that? And I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we had a taste of what that means. This is a psalm about going on a pilgrimage out into the wilderness, being cared for by a good shepherd who leads us to to quiet waters, cleans us up, we drink deeply of him, he feeds us on that lush green grass, he prepares this amazing banquet table for us and, and, and anoints our heads in the presence of our enemies. And then that pilgrimage ends in a place of worship, a place of, of enjoying God forever, now and forever. Well, I see some progression in this psalm, and we'll finish with this. Sort of not steps, really, but, but just think of it like signposts along the way on this pilgrimage. And there's seven of them, very quickly. First, a, well-ca- a well-cared-for pastor, a well-cared-for parent, a well-cared-for spiritual leader is somebody who has been well-fed on God's Word, who's been fed to be fat on God's Word. They have fed so much on God's Word that they've been changed from the inside out. So teaching shows areas of your life. That's the second signpost that need cleansing. When you hear God's word spoken to you, and God's spirit sort of makes it come alive in you, and you feed on that that green grass, you, you become aware that there are areas of your life that really need cleansing. And that cleansing then leads you to spiritual renewal and spiritual restoration. And that's the third signpost. The fourth is that that spiritual renewal then guides you to follow the Lord in those righteous paths. And all of a sudden, it's the most most beautiful thing, when I disciple guys and they start saying, you know, I don't even want to desire to do that anymore. I used to do this thing over here, and all I want to do is just flush that. You know, I I just want to be with God. When I hear that come out of guys' mouths, I know that God is at work. God's word is at work, leading them to a place where his law is literally being being put into their hearts and changing them from the inside out. Spiritual renewal guides you to desire more and more to follow the Lord in righteousness. The fifth signpost is is being guided this way provides protection. It provides provision. Because as you walk with Jesus by the Spirit on those pathways of righteousness, guess what? You don't get off into all kinds of knucklehead stuff. And, and, and consequently, you enjoy fellowship and friendship with God, which is the sixth signpost. As you're walking on those ways, you, you enjoy God more deeply, more richly in worship. And seventh, and finally, you imitate Him, you imitate Him to feed and lead others the same way He has fed and led you. The flocks that you serve, you serve them the way the Lord has served you. Let me conclude with, with this. As a shepherd cares for his sheep, so the Lord wants us to care for his people. He wants us to be the kind of community that demonstrates, listen, that demonstrates his loyal love that we've received, that we now give to others, guiding and guarding, feeding and leading, governing and, and, and going before the flock, gathering the flock, Seeing lives restored and souls straightened out and marriages healed up and broken, broken lives made whole again. And God can do these things. I've seen it and you have too. We heard four or five testimonies of people who went through the valley of the shadow of death in relationships and yet God in his mercy and in his loving kindness has given them a fresh start to try again. Well, let's pray together and end this service. You've been a patient church this morning. And I commend you for that. But we're going to worship. But I want to pray a benedictory prayer as the band comes before you worship. And it's this. It comes from Hebrews 13. And the writer of Hebrews says, Amen.